Homesteads and Homeschools as part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out This Week in Liberpods, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm back. You're back. Welcome back to Homesteads and Homeschools. I'm your host, Liberty Heavy, here with you for yet another week. This is episode number 76, which means you can find the show notes at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 076. I hope you all had a fantastic 4th of July weekend out there celebrating your freedom, lighting off those state-sanctioned, super-taxed fireworks behind your dainty little mask, making sure you're not coughing on anybody. You know it's coming. We're all going to have to be wearing masks soon enough and just going to be what it is, I suppose. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it if you can't tell. The whole, whole COVID thing, you know, paying attention to numbers, reading things, and actually paying attention to what's going on and what is being pushed is uh, it's a scary, scary world. But um, I digress. Oh, let's, let's get into it. My, my guest, uh, Bellamy Fitzpatrick. If you listen to the other show I do, Free Markets Green Earth, with uh, my buddy Nikki P., you heard us talk to him a while back, um, and uh, you know he does some some permaculture stuff. And so I thought, why not have him on? He uh, he's a fun dude, good good conversations, and I think this conversation was a, a good one as well. Uh, you guys should definitely check him out. I'll put uh, all his links in the show notes. He's got lots of lots of good material out there. Um, really interesting stuff. Uh, thoughtful thoughtful stuff. And um, yeah, the, the link to Free Markets Green Earth will be in there as well. I think it's freemarketsgreenearth.com slash 046 off the top of my head, but if I'm wrong, it's in the show. So anyway, guys, enough of that. Uh, let's just get down to it. Let's go plant those liberty seeds with my guest, Mr. Bellamy Fitzpatrick. Sour like a lemon tree. I'm just smiling down upon my enemies. Do the shit and love it on a daily. Say you hate your job, but you'll never leave. Never leave, but that ain't gonna be me. All right, so my guest today is uh, Mr. Bellamy Fitzpatrick. Yeah, you may have heard his name bounced around on a, on a few other podcasts and then a few other things, but uh, he's on today to talk about permaculture. So, uh, Bellamy, thanks for coming on. I, I appreciate you yeah. taking the time here. Um, yeah. So I know in, in other podcasts, you've given a, a bit of a rundown on, on how you got to where you are. I'm curious how you got to where you are gardening wise. Was this, this, uh, have you always been a, a gardener of sorts? No, no, not at all. And I guess I should put a caveat on the entire conversation by saying, I don't consider myself uh, any kind of permaculture master or um, uh, I don't presume to be in a, a position to teach really, although technically I do have a permaculture design certification, which according to the strange permaculture system that has developed, that does qualify you to teach. And there's a whole kind of political history to that and, and agreement and disagreement as to whether that's a good thing. Um, but I, I consider myself very much a learner. And so I just want to 
frame the whole conversation that way. And I did do a little bit of gardening as a kid growing up, but it was just um, flowers, like a butterfly insectary type of garden, um, not for subsistence, not for not broad scale, very small scale. And the reason I got interested in permaculture and gardening, homesteading was political. So it was um, when I was about 20 or 21, at that point, I had already gotten very into anarchism and considered myself an anarchist, even though, you know, from the vantage point I have now, 12 years later, I was still pretty ignorant about a lot of things. <laughs> but around that same time, I learned about permaculture. And it just hit me immediately that this made so much sense synergistically with anarchism, because the answer that every anarchist like me who wants things to be extremely decentralized, uh, the, the, the question that someone like me has to answer is, okay, well, how could this actually work practically infrastructurally? And I think permaculture does give us a way to have highly decentralized communities. It does give us a way to meet a lot of our needs on a home scale and, and very potentially all of our needs on something like a village scale or, or something like that. Yeah, it it uh, it probably does. Before we get too far, um, what what is permaculture? I think m most people have an idea, but like, how would you define it? Uh, what, what would you call it? Yeah, yeah. I think you know, like anarchism, it's one of those terms that you'll get a lot of different definitions. Um, I I like the definition that focuses on it being a design system. So I I would say it's an ecological design uh, schema that is based on whole systems thinking, like general systems theory, um, applying systems theory to ecology. Um, it draws on both traditional knowledge and modern scientific data. And it's also a design system that's guided by a set of ethics. Um, and I would say that the ethical part could use more development, um, but I, I would say it, it's, it's based on a kind of ecological and humanistic ethics. And that design system gives us a way to frame our thinking around food systems, fuel systems, uh, shelter, uh, both shelter design and, um, and sourcing materials, uh, medicine systems, I would say, through herbalism and recovery of traditional medicine, and basically meeting human needs in a way that mimics and meshes with our local and global ecology rather than working against those systems, which is what a lot of what we do now. Um, yeah. It's, it's wild when you first start kind of really thinking about the, the whole permaculture setup and really how interwoven everything is, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, and it's one thing to put a garden in or even, you know, set your gardens and, and that sort of stuff up in, in a, system that flows. Um, but you're right. Once you start thinking about like even your house design, you know, where it goes on the land, how it sits on the land, you know, all, everything just pours into it. And it's, it's very holistic in in that sense. And I, it's, um, I don't know, it's nice to see it kind of breaks up some of that disjointedness we have in all other aspects of, of the world. But, um, yeah, I mean, what, how did you, I, I was just going to jump on one thing that you said, you said where your house sits on the land. That's something that I never thought about before I started engaging with permaculture. Now you see all the time how badly houses are situated. There's 
they're situated to face the road rather than in accordance with solar aspect. We place houses on high value arable land rather than putting it, you, you should be placing your house on the, the land that is the least suitable for growing food. And we often put it in like a prime spot on our on yeah. the land that we have. So. Yep. That's, um, we, when we, we, that's the way our house is. Yeah. It, it fits, it's nice and square to the road and it looks really nice on the road, but it, in terms of solar efficiency, it's garbage. I mean, in the winter, I'm in the shadow and in the summer, like I get all these, and I'm in the middle of Georgia. It's hot. Like who does, you know? Um, and that was something like, uh, my, my father built a house that I, I grew up in and, um, he's kind of big nerd about all that stuff, all the, the insulation and all the, you know, everything. And when he designed it, he set it up, you know, to the, in the, in the summer, you'd have the right, um, shadows and it didn't dawn on me until I was an adult and I was looking around that like, that wasn't normal necessarily that <laughs> people didn't think about that sort of thing people are more concerned about uh i don't know how, how it looked from the road i guess but when you uh how did you come into to permaculture how did you kind of find that uh, what was that probably 10 15 years ago it was give or take it was about 12 years ago um okay but for the first two years after i learned about it i was just reading things here and there and it was just kind of a curiosity for me. And then finally I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I have to really start getting hands-on experience because I don't, you know, I, I know a little bit of theory now, but it's very ungrounded. And so I started uh, doing the, the WOOF uh, program. If you're familiar with it, it's, um, what is it? Yeah, actually, don't remember what the acronym is. Yeah, it's worldwide activities on organic farms, something like something, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like uh, yeah, I don't know, Peace Corps for like farming yeah. or something like that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird system because it's it's very informal, and so basically people just list themselves on this uh, in this book that comes out every year, as well as a website. And just say, hey, I have this farm, or I have this homestead, or I have this whatever. And here's kind of a description of what it's like. And if you're interested, reach out. And um, so it's one of those strange things that you can do through the internet now. And I had uh, I had very good experiences and bad experiences, but I learned a lot <laughs> very quickly. Um, and and then I it, I went from that to. Uh, for a little while after that, I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area and I had a, like an urban garden because um, we took all the concrete out of um, the, the, the like backyard, such as it was, yeah, uh, of yeah. the place where we lived, um, which was pretty funny, actually. Uh, we took it all out with sledgehammers and wrecking bars and <laughs> used the pieces of concrete to make walls for raised beds. Um and then eventually, uh, it's a long story, but it, it led to us being where we are now. Um, when I say us, I mean uh, uh, my my fiance and I. Nice. Did, I, did you uh, were you renting when you pulled up the concrete? Yeah, yeah. Did you guys you get in trouble for that? No, actually, um, nice. because the the place we lived was it was like a total slumlord situation, and um, he he was breaking so many rules. Like the place we were living was not even legally in inhabitable because of the problems with the house. And I think he saw it as like, well, I guess they're kind of increasing 
you know, the, the value of the house overall, because yeah, he could yeah. tell that we knew what we were doing. You know, we weren't just like idiots uh, going at it. I'm curious about the, uh, the wolf, the, the wolf uh, situation there. Um, so you said you had some, some good, some bad experiences. When was it set up to be educational or was it more like free labor kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. Well, you mean the the program as a whole? Like or? like what well, like the people that you would go to. Like so when you would go work on somebody's farm, did you find that people were more like were people interested in in teaching you and and kind of giving you hands-on experience or was it more like all right, guy, I need you to go weed that garden over there kind of thing? How did that yeah, play out? Yeah, I would say most people that we met were more like you know, eco-farming, evangelical kind of people that really did did want you to learn and did hope that you would go on to do something else. But I have definitely heard of people having experiences where it's more like yeah. labor extraction. And I mean, it's not free in the sense that they are giving you room right. and board, but the worst experience I had was people who they seemed barely concerned with me getting food <laughs> um, and didn't want to engage with me at all. And I, I think they, I, I don't know quite what happened. I think somehow I, I made a very bad impression on them, but I, they wouldn't explain quite why. And I left after about a week, um, you know, basically saying like, this is clearly not working for me and uh, it doesn't seem to be working for you. <laughs> so You had a little bit of leeway to kind of like, it wasn't, it wasn't a contract necessarily. Well, I mean, they they can't keep you there, you know. <laughs> I was basically like, I'm leaving. Yeah, fair enough. I wasn't sure so, there's some like, you know, yeah. kind of, I don't know, contract type type agreement thing or whatever. How that how that worked or I mean, what they, you know, who is it yeah, organized I, I, by I, by some overarching entity or is it just kind of like a? Not really. I mean, someone, someone. There's some, I think, corporation that. Uh, puts out the information, but it's, you know, it's almost like a Craigslist type of thing. Like all they're doing is providing the communication infrastructure and then everything else is just happening as it happens. So yeah, I guess we're talking about it for a bit. Um, I guess I would, if somebody is interested, I would say, yeah, it can be worthwhile, but you have to be very careful about who you go to to stay with and i would say have such an exit strategy <laughs> yeah i can't can't blame that so uh hey, you did a little bit of that how do you remember when you kind of decided that um this was sort of the the lifestyle or the the i don't say end goal but uh one of the the big goals of your your future yeah it it did come from a theory sort of standpoint in that i I kept reading and thinking and talking with people about the state of the world and just how many problems there are and how uh, bleak things seem at times. And I tried a lot of different things. Like I tried the more kind of activist thing. Um, I was in the Bay Area, so there were lots of things going on everywhere. Um, and before that I was doing sort of like campus activism stuff. And um, I just kept trying different things, including, you know, in the Bay Area, there were there were periodically riots and that kind of stuff. And just thinking about, okay, well, like, what could work? What could conceivably work? And where is where is the direction of history going? Is, um, you know, is the United States going to uh, 
fall apart under its own contradictions is the United States going to stop being the global hegemon and is China going to become ascendant? Is humanity just going to go over the cliff with hubristic technology and we're going to have some big collapse? And I kept coming back to no matter which way things looked like they were going, that doing um, homesteading with the goal of, of networking and having community scale resilience and autarky kept seeming like such an important part of whatever was going to happen. And so eventually I thought, okay, well, this is something that makes sense. And it's something that I think I could do. Um, like, I think I, I had the aptitude for it as well as doing stuff like media. Um, so I just thought, okay, well, let's, let's do it. And at that point I, um, was in a relationship with someone who also wanted to do it. And I uh, had other social connections with people who were interested in this kind of thing. It just seemed like we could all move in that direction. Um, and now, you know, basically I'm like, okay, well, I've dug in my heels and this is just what I'm going to do because <laughs> I've put a lot of work into it. Yeah. When did you, uh, when did you get your certificate or uh, what do you say? Is a certificate? It's a certificate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very recently, actually just last summer. I actually did it and I did my, my, um, course at Ben Falk's place. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he has a place up in Vermont and he, along with several other teachers were, um, had an event there with about, I don't know, like 30 students probably. So what is that? Um, I guess there's two things there. I mean, what, what did you learn, but what does this certificate get you? Like, what does that, what does that do for you? Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I mentioned, uh, that there was this, this conflict in the, the early uh, days of permaculture of, okay, how do we spread the ideas? And two of the major people at the beginning of permaculture were Bill Mollison and David Holmgren, and they eventually had a major falling out, um, but at that time they were still working together and there was this sort of conflict on the one hand, Mollison wanted to sort of just get the ideas out there as quickly as possible. So the idea being that you, you know, it's, you could get sort of initiated through this design course. And then once you had done that, then you had all the privileges and honors to go teach other people and give them certificates as well. And Holmgren said, no, 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 that's going to lead to a kind of degradation in teaching because just because someone goes through the course doesn't mean that they're in any way equipped to either in terms of knowledge or in terms of, of ability to communicate that knowledge. And he wanted it to be more like a centralized academic model. Like there would be specific institutions that you would go to, to get this training. And I don't know exactly how it went, but basically Mollison won. Um, so I would say, this might sound rather heretical coming from an anarchist, but I think probably Holmgren was right about this because there are people out there who give these courses and you just like, I've never been in one of these courses, but I've heard of courses that are just not yeah. good. Um, and, and that can be either because the people doing it don't have as much knowledge as they think they do, or just because they're not good teachers. They're not good communicators of knowledge. So basically the, the certificate means that you've gone through one of these and technically you're qualified to teach one now. Interesting. It's uh, it is. It's one of those things where you know, it, just 
you know, giving anybody the the stamp of approval, if you will, can can dilute things. But at the same time, you know, yes. you know, you kind of got to pick and choose. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can uh, see some of the, the pictures online of, of somebody's permaculture setup and, and know that, uh, well, maybe, maybe they're not quite, uh, that's true. Not quite, not quite the one that I want to go visit, but, um, yeah, it's more like caveat emptor. Yeah. Right? So you, um, how long have you guys been where you are now? Just over four years. Yeah. So not that long. You say that not that long and I've been here for five years and I feel like it's been a while, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure, sure. So what do you guys got going on now? Have you, how did you, have you started um, with your your permaculture setup? Was it was your house pre existing? Yeah, and it actually is a perfect case of what we were talking about earlier. It actually it has almost almost perfectly the wrong solar aspect, um, and we we decided to just keep it rather than yeah. knock it down because, uh, frankly, my my building skills are pretty limited. I mean, I can do a little bit, I'm learning, but it would have been huge to try to uh, start from scratch. And um, we wanted to do the kind of forest gardening approach. So what we've focused on mostly is um, perennials. We, we do grow annuals. We have grown more annuals some years, fewer annuals other years. Um, but we put a lot of our effort into the perennials, by which I mean trees, shrubs, bushes, uh, perennial vegetables, because we're more interested in having long-term resilience and self-sufficiency than short-term. Um, and because of other things, like I'm in school right now, so I don't have as much time as I would like. Um, and so we've... I don't know how many now, like maybe 600 or so um, trees and shrubs in the ground. Um, and that's things like um, a lot. Uh, it's, I, I don't want to be misleading because one of the things we tried to do is make a deer proof hedge. So we have light fencing right now, but we plan eventually to take the fencing down and hopefully have a hedge that would, um, stop deer from coming in while at the same time actually giving deer material to browse on on the outside. So that's like hawthorn, Osage orange, um, alder, um, seaberry, other things that are form kind of like a dense brambly shield. And we also planted trees for timber like okay. black locust, which uh, is yeah. one of the highest quality woods that you can uh, harvest around here at least. Um, and I don't know, should I just start naming shit? I don't know how you want me to do this. No, <laughs> no, I'm curious. So what, um, with your, with your house, the way that it is, um, is there anything that you can do to sort of rectify some of the, the uh, negative aspects of, of your home setup? Or are you just kind of going off of it and, and making do with what is there? Yeah, we actually d did something rather drastic. Um, which was remove part of the second floor. Um, so that way the, a good deal of the house gets a lot more light than it used to, because we now have this kind of, I don't know what, what it's called. Um, 
like a almost like a loft design to the house so that the second okay. floor is partial um that was um a, a drastic choice like i said and my father who's a general contractor considered it you know downright heretical because it's like <laughs> why would you remove square footage in your house this is crazy right yeah, <laughs> i've heard that before yeah and, i mean in some ways it was kind of crazy but it's uh it improved the solar aspect significantly. Um, we put more insulation in the house than there used to be. We replaced the windows and and put in double pane windows instead of having single pane. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's much better than it used to be. It used to be that you could, uh, when there was strong wind, you could, you know, feel the drafts entering the house. And now, now it's not like that. So. No, I know. It's, it is... It's amazing. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was the way like I was brought up um, or it just is the, the things that I've done in my adult life, but like your insulation, like your, your building envelope, it, it's just people are so concerned about like what's inside. But like if you don't have a good envelope, you're going to be fighting so hard at, just to, to keep your temperature at, at the level you want it. And it's, it just gets so expensive. It's, it's insane. We, uh, we were in Vermont and our, the house was from 1856, I think. And, uh, it had some old windows in there. And, um, in part of the house we'd put, uh, uh, it's like that aluminum, uh, wrapped styrofoam type insulation stuff. We put that in the windows to, to block it up in the winter because it was just so cold. And there would be times when the wind would come and just blow those out through the windows. You know, it was like insane. We ended up, you know, fixing all the windows up, putting new ones in, but that, that alone is, is just worth a bunch. Yeah. There. I mean, our house was, is also a mid 19th century house. So maybe similar. Um, and I agree with you, a house before anything else, a house is basically a membrane, right? <laughs> That's yeah, the yeah. most important feature. <laughs> it is, and it's. Uh, we kind of fell into that, I think, because we we were more looking at the land when we bought the house, and the house was kind of second. And now we're like, oh man, we didn't need all this house. We don't want all this house, and now we're paying for it later. But so you guys are you're doing mostly perennials. Um, yeah, and I mean, like this year we're growing um, like potatoes and sweet potatoes and stuff. Like we grow annuals. I'm not trying to. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I'm sure you, you get some of them going. I, I can, I know how it goes getting busy though. It's when some of those perennials, like they do take less work. It seems like you know you don't have to put all that time into seeding and everything every year. But, um, so what do you got like perennial vegetables? And you got your typical run of the fair, run of the run of the mill stuff, or do you got some? Yeah, we have like uh, Turkish rocket and Good King Henry and. Um... How does that do for you? Good King Henry? Yeah. It's small right now. <laughs> it's in the nursery. So we're going to plant it out as it gets going. Turkish Rocket, I think, is great. It's, it's um, very productive and easy. Uh, we have Salad Burnett. We have... Uh, actually, one of the big things is Sunchokes. I don't know if you've grown them. Um, also known as Jerusalem Artichokes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, how, how long have you had those? For... Uh, three years three years okay and how, how have they done for you oh they're awesome i i think they're one of the at least for us where we are one of the best things that we have in the sense that they require almost no care 
and they produce a lot. And um, we actually ferment them because uh, some people will say, uh, this is yeah. kind of silly, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so for people who don't know what I'm getting at, um, they have a bad reputation for giving you gas. Uh, and I think if you don't ferment them, that is definitely true, but fermenting them makes them taste fantastic and uh, totally gets rid of that problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's the thing with beans too, man. I, I sprout all my beans and yeah. we, nobody has that problem. And like trying to tell people, but we, uh, we grew Jerusalem artichokes once we tried and everybody tells you that they're like super invasive. If you don't like yeah, keep are. them down, my dog killed them in a season. She just ate the tops down. She, I don't oh. know. She eats like all that sunflower echinacea that like, oh, you know, okay. and she just mowed them down. That was my, my only experience with Jerusalem artichokes that everybody says you can't get rid of my dog. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They do spread. Um, but if you, we've found, if you just harvest them pretty aggressively, so just so everyone's clear, they're tubers. That's, that's the main yield. Um, and they're tubers that grow rhizomatically. So they just spread and they spread through these roots that periodically form tubers and you harvest the tubers. And yeah, we found as long as you harvest them pretty aggressively, it keeps them you know, hemmed in. And then all we do is put a little bit of manure on them in the fall, um, which I don't even know if it's really necessary. And then they just come right back up the next year. Good deal. What are you guys hoping to to do in the future? What do you got any big plans coming up? Are you just kind of adding slowly or? Um, yeah, the big thing we wanted to do, uh, it's hard to describe if you don't have the layout of our place, but basically from where I'm standing uh, over here is where um, we have about three acres that we manage as the forest garden. It's not super intensive when I say three acres, it's, it's like medium intensive. Um, but over here we have a, um, uh, a hill that uh, slopes up and um, it, we have the good fortune of having a lot of, wild blueberries on that hill, but there's space below the blueberry area where we want to put in um, several swales and mounds to catch water and, uh, and make hugel culture type mounds where you bury a lot of dead wood to increase fertility on organic matter and water retention and um, put a lot more chestnuts on them. So we started experimenting with a small number of chestnuts um, and our area seems to be pretty good for them because we have sandy, well-drained soil, but also a lot of rain, which is basically what they like. And um, we want to put a lot more. And um, we're actually going to use tubes for the first time, uh, which I've never done with trees because I kind of, I don't know, I like to like be less, like less intensive in the management, basically. But, when you um, say tubes, what do you what do you mean? Like, like these plantra tree tubes, so to protect them from deer browsing. Like to so to go in it. Okay, yeah. No, that's, I wasn't sure if you meant like that. I was thinking tubes like maple syrup, like siphon tubes going around. Like I wasn't. Yeah, okay, good deal. Oh, I see. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because uh, this will be an unprotected area out here, and so I'm gonna we're gonna try using it for the first time. Um, my fiance had the idea, and. Um, that way we don't have to put any kind of fencing or anything. And once they get tall enough that they're out of the tube, they're basically beyond 
deer browse height. Um, so we're going to put in a lot of chestnuts as well as other things like elderberry and uh, currants. And um, that's something that we'll probably do either this month or next month. Um, and, and we're going to try renting a small excavator for the first time, which I've never, I've no experience with. So to make the land. Let me, let me know how that goes. How that goes. I have you. I, I've, I were, I'm always thinking about it. We are like, I'm on the fault line in Georgia. So like it's either sand or it's clay and you can't dig in the clay at all. It's, you know, you go six inches, it's concrete. And we're thinking about maybe turning our, our front yard into basically big hugel culture, you know, mounds yeah. and just do something with that. Cause right now it's just, I mean, even the grass has trouble growing. You know, we've had, we had like, we have a fig tree out there that's like four years old, five years old. I think we put it in when we got the house and it's grown maybe six inches. You know, it's, it hasn't done anything. Um, so we really got to try to mess with that. But I'm, uh, yeah, we have basically the, the extreme sand level. It's, um, the particle size is so high that technically it's gravel, but it like wouldn't look like gravel colloquially, obviously. It just looks like in some places almost like beach. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> wild. Yeah. How does that with, uh, with erosion and stuff? It's okay. But, um, the way that we structured, uh, so we get, yeah, we get a lot of water, um, a lot of rain, although not this spring actually. And the way that we structured the managed area I'm talking about is like a pit and mound. So we have like a, we did like, you know, you have a swale and then a hugel mound and then a swale and then a hugel mound, not like right on top of each other, but pretty close together. And so when it rains, sometimes we get very heavy rain and it, we catch a lot of the water and slow it down. So that helps with both water retention and erosion. Um, but the hugels also help because in some places the organic matter is very low. Um, and I, we suspect that's because there was overgrazing on that area. Like back yeah. Then. Yeah. That's, um, that's something we've kind of run into too. Uh, they, this used to be all, cotton soy and tobacco and then for a number of years before we bought it it was uh cows and goats and it's just you know beet and I've, we I, we made a couple hugel culture mounds in the back and um i made them too peaked and i didn't think i made like they weren't that peaked but it was peaked enough that when it rained um the sand just washed off i had to like flatten it out it's like you know it's like it's almost like a its own raised bed right now you know because it's it's flat on the top it's big and flat and it's like not it's just it's a weird weird looking shape in the middle of the garden but yeah what you described is actually a a friend of mine who is a much more experienced uh permaculturist actually a professional designer and he he talks about the the pattern of bad land management starts with the monocropping that you were talking about then once you've degraded it then you bring in the cows once you overgraze the cows you bring in the goats to finish it off and then you just (laughs) You just extracted all the organic matter. Then, then you, then you walk away and let some other sucker to deal with it. We're trying. We're trying. Curious, um, what, how, what uh, percentage of, of your property um, do you guys kind of manage, do you think? Mm, not much. Um, probably about three or four percent. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Good deal. Good deal. All right, man. Um, 
It sounds it sounds interesting. It's it's permaculture. It's always been one of those things. Like I would love to get into it. I don't know how to start. You know, it just seems like such a big undertaking when you have pre-existing fences and garages and barns and buildings that are already here, and then to try to build around it. You know, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it. Um... As someone who, like I said, is very much learning, you have to find that right balance of trying to educate yourself and be careful that you don't make terrible mistakes by trying to do (laughs) too much too quickly. But you also have to let yourself experiment and just say, hey, I'm going to try this on this small area and see what happens. And, And then you get feedback very quickly, you know, through just observation. Um, and that's what you start to, to appreciate, like, yeah, you appreciate how, you know, when I go out there, I'm actually just, you know, it's very significant, but small part of everything that's happening, all these energy flows, all these organisms moving through making changes, and you are participating and, and getting communication from all of these different forces if you once you pay attention to the feedback. And, you know, sometimes that happens through you know, like what you were saying, you try something and then you get this erosion. You're like, okay, you know, <laughs> I, I put something out there and I got feedback. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful learning experience. It's, it's really like anything you do, gardening, animals, any of that, it's, it's constantly learning and, and knowing how to pay attention, figuring out how to pay attention and, and listen is, is, I don't know, a wonderful thing, but I know you have some other, places out there where people can find you. Um, do you do, are any of them like, uh, do you, do you document your story at all? Do you guys talk about your, your gardens at all, your permaculture at all? Uh, no. And that's partially a product of sort of separated magisteria. So, um, you know, I say a lot of things as an anarchist and, um, in the past I've, made, you know, several across my media history, I've made a number of inflammatory statements that we don't want associated with what we're doing here per se, because we actually have like a not-for-profit corporation. And so okay. Forth. So, right. yeah. So, um, that's a case of separated magisteria, but you can find, um, I have a blog that I've not been updating, but I'm going to start updating it more at bellamyfitzpatrick.com. You can find me on Twitter, um, my handle is at Anarch Bellamy. Um, and I do a video cast that has been on hiatus, but is restarting uh, this week called Liberty and Logos. And that's at libertyandlogos.com. Um, but if if you go to any one of those, you'll find all the others. All right. So. Well, I'll put, I'll put all that stuff in the, in the show notes. Um, there it sounds. Sounds impressive. And I, I wish you luck. And thank you for, for coming on. That, that's Bellamy. Um, like I said, just a, a fun dude to talk to. Um, good guy. And uh, you should go check out all his things that he does. 
I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, if you have any feedback you want to throw my way, go ahead and do that. Homesteadsandhomeschools at gmail.com. Find me at Twitter at HS and HS pod. And, uh, there's a link in the, the show notes to Discord. Uh, it may or may not work, but you can always contact me and I will get you a link to that that little slice of the interwebs. Um, it, there's lots of good information there, uh, decent conversations, and um, just some, some guys that really know what they're doing and are uh, willing to to share what they, they know. And um, that's all we can do right now is, is build, build community wherever it may be. Um, so definitely get in on that. I think that's all for, for this week. Uh, if you're buying stuff, homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon, click through the link and I get a kickback for that, which is nice. You can leave a review on iTunes or you can go check out Patreon, patreon.com slash the Liberty Hippie and, uh, see what, see what I got there for you. Some, uh, little bonus content here and there. It'll be a little, little bonus content today. Conversation with, with Bellamy carried on a bit more. So, uh, I threw that up there and, uh, yeah, check it out check it out. That's all for now, folks. I uh, thank you guys for sticking with me, for hanging with me, and uh, and being here through all these tumultuous times. And I hope you all have, have your same digits. I hope, hope nobody lost anything this weekend. So, hey guys, that's all for now. Get out there. Sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap sheaves of freedom together. Too.